and um, and welcome, welcome to Christ Church. And uh, my name is Brian Beemans. I'm the uh, lead pastor here, and uh, just I'm excited for uh, the message as we continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Culture. But um, before I jump into the message, um, last week I had just gotten back from um, a mission trip to Ireland uh, with my daughter, and I promised an update. And so I want to give you guys a little update from that trip and just something to pray for. Um, and just, I want to express my thankfulness just for um, how you guys were praying leading into that trip. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, through Great Commission Collective or GCC, um, we, our church, along with six other churches within uh, the collective, have been supporting uh, this church plant in Dublin. And uh, here's a picture of downtown Dublin and uh, just a, a beautiful city um, right on the coast. And um, uh, while we were in Dublin, we actually had the chance to, uh, to visit this cathedral, which was kind of funny because the name of the cathedral was Christ Church Cathedral. So I felt at home there when I, when I asked if I, I was like, am I supposed to preach on Sunday? They didn't have a great response to that question. Kidding, I did not ask anybody that. Um, but um, the, the name of the church uh, is Hope Church that we're supporting, and they're actually, they actually meet just outside of Dublin in a town called Nace, and uh, here's a picture from Sunday morning's worship uh, time, and, uh, and there's my daughter. She jumped in on the worship team, and uh, just so thankful for uh, the time we spent with that church. They had about um, around 80 people there uh, that Sunday that I was there, and uh, um, by the way, uh, 50 is a big church in Ireland. Um, they are a church, I mean an area, a country that um, many are saying is becoming one of the most unreached with the gospel in all of Europe and uh, just so cold and hard to the gospel. And yet in the midst of that, there are these uh, beautiful works of faith where God is uh, drawing people together and uh, it's just a faithful group that has been uh, pressing on and uh, just desiring and longing to be faithful uh, to what God calls the church to be. And um, we, uh, part of one of the things we were there was to encourage them, to support them. There are a number of leaders that are sort of leading this church forward. They don't have a pastor right now because the previous guy who planted for a number of reasons that were understandable uh, needed to step away from ministry. And so we're walking alongside these leaders, encouraging them, supporting them. And while I was there, I did some training and some encouragement and some counsel and, and uh, taught on Sundays and just had an awesome opportunity uh, to just encourage this church forward. And uh, part of the trip also uh, was spent making some new connections with some different ministry people in Ireland. And that led Ellie and I down to the uh, southern part of the state um, in Cork. And there is a group of churches that have are sort of planted like 11 different churches in the southern part of the country. And uh, we met this family, um, Kevin Gabriel and his wife Christine and their two kids, Owen and Eliana which was kind of funny, and, um, and they are um, uh, actually connected to another church within our collective and uh, got to know them, and that led to some connections, and all of this to say, um, the faithfulness of this church to continue to serve in the way they're serving and lead in the way they're leading without a, a lead pastor is unbelievable. But I would encourage you guys and ask you, would you just commit to praying for Hope Church? Um, a number of conversations, even in this past week, uh, with me and some of the other pastors that are supporting it. Um, I was on the uh, Zoom call yesterday with a, a leader of one of the main um, 
sort of church planting movements in Ireland and talking to him about the opportunity and just just praying that God would lead us to the right connections and doing whatever we can to be faithful in that. And so you guys could just pray. And I also just want to thank you um, for your generosity to our church that allows us to be generous to other churches. And our support of Hope Church is um, a part of the overflow of our missions budget. And um, we just believe that this country, Ireland, needs desperately needs more gospel-preaching, Christ-centered churches. Amen? And so we're going to continue to go after that, and thank you for praying for that and for that opportunity. So with that um, I said, uh, let's turn our attention to God's Word. Um, we are, as I said from the beginning, uh, continuing our series through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are just a few messages from finishing this series. Like, that's unbelievable. Um, it both feels short and long. Um, we started back in September And uh, I know that this series has uh, filled our hearts and it's challenged our faith, certainly. And I think what I know I'm longing for more and more and praying for with more clarity is for kingdom culture to saturate my life and your life and our lives together. And so let's, um, let's pray for this as we get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the church worldwide. And throughout all time, your eyes have never uh, uh, turned away from uh, your church where you are honored and prized. And I'm praying, God, uh, now for Hope Church that you would provide for them a a pastor and continue to grow the people that are attending that church in both unity and in vision. I pray, Father, for our church now as we... A look at what your word is teaching us from Matthew 7 and that we would be convicted by it, stirred up, and ready for greater faithfulness. And so, God, I pray that you'd meet us in this message, that you'd speak directly to our hearts in ways that we need. And through the power of your spirit, God, I believe it can be so. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, during this series, a, a pretty regularly, and then very specifically in times when we've I've been talking about prayer. I've been convicted more and more that in the formation of kingdom culture, it's going to require a deeper prayer life. For for kingdom culture to really root itself in, our prayer life has to grow in intimacy. Uh, That's a sort of prayer that's building intimacy with God because every move to pray In your life and in mine, it's a supernatural moment. Every move to prayer. Every move to prayer really is just a a desperate, needy child turning to the power and the love and the majesty of their heavenly Father. See, prayer cannot, in the church of Jesus Christ, be a biblical lesson to be learned. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be a daily, ongoing conversation between you and God Because it's in that conversation and as a fruit of prayer that you are empowered to live out kingdom culture. Only in and through prayer. And so I'm asking and I pray that you would ask that not only in this series but moving forward that God would give us a desperateness in prayer. That he'd bore it into our culture. A few weeks ago I I taught through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9-13 and 
There Jesus is teaching them to pray. And we talked about how there's sort of four key moves to prayer. We talked about upward reverence and downward response with our hands open. We talked about inward requests and then an outward readiness to be all that God's called us to be. Now today in this passage that's in front of us, Jesus is not addressing the process of prayer. He's addressing the heart of prayer. Look with me starting in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. Then to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Thinking and processing through this passage, I wrote this down. Big move. Pray like a zealous child of God. Pray like a zealous child of God. This idea of a a zealous child of God, so uh, full and ready to approach his heavenly father, is, is the picture, the perfect picture of the heart of prayer that Christ is emphasizing here. He's teaching that a zealous child of God will persist in prayer, standing firm in the much more of God's love. That statement right there in two parts is the message. Persist in prayer, standing firm in the much more of God's love. So let's break it into two parts. Let's start with this persistent prayer idea. Persistence is important in prayer and it's really important in any uh, ongoing, enduring, loving relationship. The, the, The zealous child of God will persist, will persist in prayer. They'll continue to to move towards it. I found this definition online for persist that I think captures this idea. It's to be insistent in the repetition or pressing of an utterance. Persisting in prayer is illustrated here in this passage. And Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, knock. It is an invitation to prayer. It is a revelation of the nature of persistent prayer. Let's just think about each word in the context of prayer first to ask. To simply just request something of God. It's to make a request. There's tremendous openness to making requests of God. Throughout the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, you see the, you see the, the writers of the Psalms uh, so often expressing their request to God with great passion and emotion. Sometimes facing tremendous difficulty or trial. And into that, they're just asking God, God, would you move? God, see me. God, hear my request. Ask. Then seek. Seek is pursuing what, you're des- what you are desiring through faith in God. 
It's like seeking. It's like searching it out. It's going, man, in, in the move of, of, of me conversing with God and me listening to God, if there's anything that I can do to put myself in the place where that thing that's in front of me that I'm wanting or desiring could come to fruition, I'm going to seek it. I'm going to pursue it as I long to receive from God, then to knock. This is to arrive at the specific thing that you're asking and the, the, the picture of hitting the door is, is a good illustration and a good picture. Announcing your present. God, I'm here. I'm knocking on this door. And I'm wanting the door to be open. And I'm in a persistent prayer and I'm going to continue to knock. And I know some of you have doors in front of you you've been knocking on for a long time. It captures the persistence of prayer and the need being expressed. Ask, seek, knock. And not just here in Matthew 7. Like other places in scripture paint this picture of persisting in prayer. In Luke 18, Jesus shares this parable of a persistent widow who's asking and asking and asking for a request. And interesting, before Jesus even gets to the parable, he says that this parable is to encourage people to always pray and not lose heart. And then in Luke 11, Jesus illustrates persistence in prayer in honestly kind of a, kind of a funny way if you understand what it's saying. Here in Luke 11, the illustration that he uses is a friend asking another friend for bread at midnight when that person's asleep. It's like, really? Really? Like, I'm asleep. And in the parable, in this picture, the friend who's trying to sleep is like, no, I'm not giving you bread. And the, and the other friend keeps knocking until the friend that's asleep is like, okay. <laughs> he gets up, gives him some bread that he needs. And there's a picture of persistence, persistence even when the asking might seem to be too far, too extreme, wrong time. God's teaching us something in that. Then you have the simplicity of 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which just says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Heart of prayer is to persist. Is to persist. You know, the, the idea of a zealous child of God is really appropriate for this idea of persisting because when a zealous younger child really needs something, um, they understand persisting, right? Anybody got you know, two to four-year-olds in their home and uh, you know, that range of, of age of a child is, um, man, when they need something, they don't even take in their environment. Have you noticed this? Like they could be in a total, they could be in a room by themselves playing and they have need something and they immediately begin asking. They don't even care who's around. They don't care if anyone's around. They just start asking. I need this. Normally it starts with mom, mom, or dad, dad, over and over again. And they're just like sitting in the room all by themselves. You could be like two rooms away. You could be asleep with headphones in and they're just like, dad, dad, mom, mom. And there's persistence. And then they go from asking to seeking. Once they start seeking, they will find you. <laughs> Some parents know. You're like, sweet, a little moment away. I'm going to actually get a shower. And then like, curtain comes open. Mom, dad. You're like, ah. 
Like, they will seek you out. It's like, do not try to play hide and seek with them. They will find you. Just seek. And then, once they get you within their range, then the knocking begins. And they will pull and they will. And I, you know what? Um, <laughs> my kids know, do not, of all of the things in parenthood, do not knock or tap my, my wife. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Um, nothing drove my wife crazier than that. And uh, consider yourself warned, do not tap my wife to get her attention. Now, if any of you try this with Amy because you think it's funny, it's not funny, and I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> do not do it. But, but listen, but listen. As parents, we, we can reach a point, right? We're just tired dealing with all of the needs and all of the asking. But you know who never tires of that? Our God. Our God. He never tires of that. He encourages us right here to ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. To express your need as a zealous child. Come to God with, with like a childlike humility instead of, instead of with a perspective that, that somehow my, my requesting could, could annoy God as if he has the same limits that we have as humans. I mean, Matthew 18, 3 and 4, later on, Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Bring your needs to God with childlike humility. Think about the needs that you have just from this series that we've been in, this Kingdom Culture series, walking through the Sermon on the Mount. The first words of the sermon, in case you need to be reminded of your need, were, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, start off by realizing that you're needy, that you're poor in spirit. Like we're asking in this, in, this, in this series, we've been asking for a heavenly foreign culture to pervade upon our hearts in such a way that kingdom culture would reign. And not reign into neutral territory. To actually reign into enemy territory. To reign in hearts that are fallen. To reign in, the, in a world uh, uh, filled with darkness that is constantly trying to push back against kingdom culture, that's, what, that's the need that we have. We're needy like a child. And so we need to be asking and seeking and knocking for more of the kingdom of God now in the present. The, the, the knowledge of your need and then the joy that you experience when kingdom culture begins to be cultivated in your life and in my life and in our lives together, man, that's what creates the zeal to continue to ask, seek, and knock. When you get the glimpses of the beauty of the gospel beginning to pervade in your heart and life and it takes root and it starts to change the way that you think and uh, places of darkness become places of light and places of brokenness become places of healing. That creates a zeal to persist in prayer. We cannot lose this heart of prayer, this childlike humility. 
When, when we lose this, the, the practice of prayer just becomes religious. It becomes something we just do because we were told to do it. You, you'll start to pray with no zeal because you, you, you won't have an active faith engaged in the asking. And everything sort of becomes clinical, almost obligatory. And the joy and the power and the substance and the heart of prayer just starts to leak out. Persist in prayer as a child of God. And as you persist in prayer, we've got to add this second part to it. It's not just persisting in prayer, it's persist in prayer. And then the second, standing firm in the much more of God's love. Standing firm in the much more of God's love. Verses 9 through 11. This is one of those beautiful places in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is like, hey, I got the illustration. Let me give you this picture. And he says, like, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He's, he's wanting you to know something clearly, and he leads you to it. And you're going to see it in verse 11, but he's painting the picture. And in the beginning, he's just going like, like what, what parent, when a child asks for bread is going to give him a stone? Or what parent, when your child's asking for a fish, is going to give him a serpent? The Jewish listener would have known exactly what Jesus was saying here because a bread and fish were like the staple of the food in that time, in that area. And an earthly father who has no relationship with God, doesn't know Jesus, is still going to seek to feed their child. They're not going to give a stone that might look like a loaf of bread. They're not going to give a serpent. Uh, if the child wanted a fish, then the serpent actually would have even been more significant to the Jewish listener because the word serpent in the original language actually um, points to like an eel-like catfish, which would have been a bottom dweller and according to Old Testament law would have been unclean. So why would you give your child something that, that was unclean for them to eat? according to the Old Testament law. An earthly father is not going to withhold provision to his child. And so as he paints that picture, then verse 11. Read it slowly with me. If you then, who are evil, broken or fallen or not of moral excellence, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What, what Jesus is trying to teach his people, his followers there, is, is not the extent to which Jesus will give, which is crazy if you think about it. What Jesus is, is doing here is he's reemphasizing to them, hey, I'm always going to give you my much more love that will never fade, never change, never diminish in any way. And that in prayer is where you stand firm. 
persistence in prayer requires that we're standing firm in the much more of God's love. It's got to be the anchor for your mind and your heart and your life. So let's just, let's just soak in it a bit this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. God's love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And well before that passage began to be read at weddings again and again, that is the inherent fundamental definition and characteristics of God's love for you and for me. How much more. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. How much more. How about Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, in all these things, we were, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How much? Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you and you and you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How much more? Psalm 36, your Steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. How much more? Let me conclude here, but I could go on. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. How much more? To persist in prayer, we need a consistent revelation of God's how much more love in front of us all the time. It's what forms us to be a zealous children of God. A.W. Tozier uh, said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I would wholeheartedly affirm that statement. I see it in the wrestling in my own heart and in your heart. God's love for you must be in your mind all the time because then and only then will you pray like a zealous child of God to come with the childlike humility to persist in prayer, we've got to stand firm in the much more of God's love. See, what, what Jesus is doing here in this, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is 
He's doing what you see him do multiple times in different ways. He's, he's reframing your understanding of who God is. Your image of God in the circumstances of your life, in, in the way that you think, in the places that you get tempted to fall into sin, in the way that the world sort of like just comes with its darkness and resistance, uh, what happens is, is, that, is that our picture of God gets, gets sort of like, it gets marred. The frame gets a little bent or completely broken. I mean, if you think about it, if you, if you go back all the way to Genesis 3, what the enemy did in the garden was, was, was frame the image of God wrongly. That's how he tempts us. That's how he, he gets us to, 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 to be led astray into things that are in opposition to God's best for us is by marring the image of God. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's reframing your understanding of God. He's helping you understand who he is as your heavenly father. D.A. Carson, in observing this passage, he gave sort of a picture of, of the ways that, that Jesus could have been reframing uh, God as your heavenly father. And when he, when he talks about this, he says first, uh, one, God is not the extravagant but thoughtless father who listens to every demand by his arrogant child. He's not that father. Reframe it. He's not, God is not the stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive father whose child will seldom ask for anything, fearing another round of meaningless abuse. He's not that father. Reframe it. Reframe your perspective of God. What God is, is God is the kind and gentle and firm father whose child does not fear to ask him for things, but, but a, a child who knows of his father that deep down in his soul, he enjoys the assurance that his father will give him whatever is wise and in his best interest. How much more? How much more? Is God's love to be something that is framing our understanding of God? How much more? We want you to remember this, this phrase, how much more. I, I, want it to, I want it to lock into your mind. I want it to be a, a sort of a trigger to remember those passages we talked about. And so as I was thinking about it, I was like, hey, let me just, is there a way I could put how much more into a frame that could be in front of our people? And so a really simple way we decided to do that this week, and I'm so thankful for the people on our team, is we just designed this little wallpaper for your phone. And you can download this because, listen, here's the thing. We need reminders. I need reminders, various colors, whichever one you like, and um, and so um, because I because I, your your phone is a common frame that you look at, and so as you download this and get this on your wallpaper, I want you to think about this every time. What's the frame through which I'm seeing God? Is it how little or how much? Because if I think through God's love, it's the how much more of his love. We persist in prayer standing firm in the much more of God's love. The much more of God's love. See, here's, here's why this is important that we stand firm in the much more of God's love. First, we, 
Standing firm in the much more of God's love helps you pray because you know God's response to your prayers will always be based on his sound wisdom. Like Church, this is why such a problematic teaching on, on prayer in the kingdom of God is this idea that, that prayer to God is like this magical sort of genie in the bottle, get whatever you want kind of offer. This teaching is pervasive in a lot of places in the world today. It's a false teaching called prosperity gospel. And it tries to convince people through passages like this one, honestly, that, that you can have an assurance that God will bless you either financially or heal every aspect of a physical ailment if you have enough faith. Oh my goodness. The damage that has been done to the a body of Christ through this teaching is profound. I know people that have come to our church out of places that have taught that and have asked me questions early on in coming to our church because of the pain of something terrible happening, walking through a difficult season, and the community of God going, you don't have enough faith. As if, as if this, this passage is talking about this perspective of God that if whatever I ask, I should automatically get and this week, I stumbled on a quote that just like, that like answered my heart's response to this idea in the prosperity gospel. Look at this from Alex, Alec Motyer. He responds to this idea. He says, if it were the case that whatever we ask, God was pledged to give, then I for one would never pray again. Because I would not have sufficient confidence in my own wisdom to ask God for anything. I got to this part and I was like, oh my goodness, yes, amen. And I think if you consider it, you would agree. It would impose an intolerable burden on frail human wisdom if by his prayer promises, God was pledged to give whatever we ask, when we ask it, and exactly the terms we ask. How could we bear the burden? And I'm telling you, the, I don't want to get everything that I desire or ask. I don't want it. I, based on the character of God's how much more love, what I want is I want God's best for me according to his wisdom. That's what I want. That has been the thing that has blessed my heart and my life and my relationships and multiple layers of my life has been that reality right there. And sometimes God has had to teach me through some difficult, heartbreaking lessons and realities. Sometimes God responds with no to your prayers because your request is motivated simply by selfish or sinful passions. That's what James 4.3 says. Let's make sure we have a full teaching of, of Scripture on the subject of prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And there, there are times when, looking back, I remember there were moments that I was praying for something and God said no to me. And in the moment, I was like, how could you, God, not answer that? And then looking back later, I was like, that was either for my protection or for my greater blessing. And in that, you just get to a place under the much more love of God that you're just like, man, I'm going to stand firm in this and I'm going to trust God's wisdom over my life. Second, not only is the wisdom of God's how much more important, but standing firm in the much more of God's love, you're protected from disappointment in prayer. 
man, unanswered prayers around things like life and health and money and relationships and so many other issues in your life and in mine. Things that aren't even necessarily bad or wrong that we've, we've gotten a no or a not yet or we're going a different direction. And into that, some of you like me have faced great disappointment in prayer. But when a child in a moment faces disappointment that leads to some sort of tantrum that you go, man, really seems like you don't like your parents right now. You know what happens in the place where those children are loved and cared for and provided for? They're unbelievably resilient. And suddenly a few moments later, they're back asking. They're not like, you're never going to provide anything for me again, good, and get like some sort of cold shoulder. They're like, oh yeah, I think I'm hungry. I think I'm going to ask again because <laughs> you're my provision. And, and we start to learn these lessons, right? And, and I, I think that there's a beauty here that we need to learn from. When a child stands firm in their father's much more love, when they're aware of that, they will persist in prayer to asking and seeking and knocking. See, what we need to do is we need to pray like a zealous, a child of God, while trusting God to govern life according to his wisdom, his will, and his ways. Let's just let him govern. Let him govern. And one of the things that some of you might know um, is that uh, I, really love, um, I really love to play golf, but I am dangerous in a golf cart. It's just, it's really better if I just walk. Um, there was one time when I was uh, playing golf with my, my two sons, and uh, we had uh, squeezed in a, a seat in the, in the cart, and it was me and Josiah and Micah, and, uh, and we, were, we were driving along, and, and the second I get in a golf cart, I'm like, how fast? And so, you know, we're, we're leaving the tee box, and, and Micah's kind of lounging back and, uh, in the seat, and uh, I just saw this hill in front of me, I'm like, this seems really fun, and so full speed over this hill, and, and I, I, I wish I could, I had a video of this, because Micah, in the moment in which we hit the crest of that hill, his body sort of levitated off the seat, and then I think maybe the slight turn, he just fell completely out of the golf cart, barrel rolled, and I did not laugh right then, but once I knew he was okay, Josiah and I were laughing, and laughing hard. And I mean, literally, I, the picture of him is like he was a professional stuntman or something. The way he sort of hit and rolled, and I just wish I had the video of that. I just don't. It's in my head. And um, listen, I would have probably severely injured myself in a golf cart if it was not for a little mechanical device in a golf cart that helps control the maximum speed. And do you know what it's called? It's called a governor. And I want that governor on my golf carts. I should not be in a golf cart with the governor's been tampered with. Because, because here's what it does. It, it prevents me from getting the speed that I want. But it is very wise to have on a golf cart. And it is very good. God, in his how much more love, is the governor on your prayers. And that is a part of his how much more love. His wisdom, his goodness towards us. The governor is needed. It's needed. 
reframe your understanding of God and into that out of the place where you're standing firm in the how much more of God's love you will persist in prayer. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him with wisdom out of his character of goodness so that we're resilient as children where when we don't get what we want, we don't just continue to throw some sort of tantrum towards the God who created you. But instead, we have a resilience that causes us to get up from our tantrum and go, you know what, that God is still good and I don't quite yet understand his wisdom in this circumstance or situation, but I'm gonna continue with the zeal of a child of God, continue to ask and seek and knock, to persist in prayer, stand firm in the much more of God's love, pray like a zealous child of God, let it saturate our culture. So as we, as we close our, our time today, I just want to lead us now uh, to communion. Because communion is that place in the rhythm of the church of Jesus Christ as, as Jesus has taught us and led us that it's the time to remember the much more of God's love and to seek Christ in prayer. So first, I, I just want to take a moment and just remember the much more of God's love in his sacrifice on the cross, which we want to remember in communion. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right now, someone who's walked into this room and has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, is, is not living as a child of God. Maybe, maybe have some understanding of who Jesus is and some understanding of the gospel. Maybe uh, there's been some religious routine in your life that's led you to church again and again over time. But your faith has never been put in the heavenly Father who wants to display his how much more love for you. And right now, before we even come to the communion table, if that's you, all it requires is like a child with childlike faith. You just be like, I believe, God, you are who you are. And I believe you sent your son to die for me. And I want to receive you into my life fully and completely. And you can be a child of God and walk with great zeal towards him to ask, seek, and knock as he wants to transform your life. Or Romans 5, 8 always awakens an affection in God's people where it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In, in, the, in the light of, of, of Christ's love for you as we enter into communion, in just a few moments, I just want you right now just to stop and reflect. Reflect on Christ's love for you that was displayed in his death. The beauty and the purity of that should awaken our hearts with great affection for God. And in the beauty of his love, we should confess our sin, not wanting anything to stand between us and God and to lay it at his feet. He's already paid the penalty for your sin. And in the power of his love, ask him for power to walk by faith, to persist in prayer and to stand firm in the how much more of his love. So seek him now, church. And our communion servers are going to come now and they're going to hand out the elements. And there's two cups stacked on top of one another, one with the bread and the other one with the juice. And I want you to take hold of that and, 
and, and just take this time to reflect and pray and then we'll take communion together in a few moments. And if you're not a follower of Christ, please let the trays pass. If in a moment you were like, I want Jesus Christ into my life, you can receive communion because his death is complete for you through your faith in him. So let's reflect now as these elements are handed out. Let the reality of his how much more love pervade and soak over your heart and let it awaken you with the persistence to pray like a zealous child of God. Let's hand out communion now and let's reflect together.